It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Athena will give you a great home loan and help you get rid of it. Master Builders Victoria, supporting Victorian builders for over 147 years. Not a member yet? Call today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Hello and welcome to Dwayne's World. Great to have your company wherever you might be listening. It's midday, Madness time, Friday edition. So jump on the line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Midday Madness, your calls for the next couple of hours. We're off early, heading to the cricket in India, which is uh, poised beautifully for maybe an Australian victory to make it to all over there in India. So looking forward to heading to the cricket around 2.25 today. But your calls until then. So jump on the line now, one three hundred seven three six seven three six four. Midday Madness. Thanks to Werribee Kia, that open line is brought to us. Werribee Kia awarded the prestigious National Kia Car Dealer of the Year Award. Werribee Kia, where else? Heaps to get to on the program. To start the show today, I want your input on something. I've got some information for you that may amaze you, but if you watch a lot of footy, it may not. It might just confirm what your eyes had already told you. I go on about bad kicking costing games a bit on this program, have for a number of years, especially goal kicking. And on last year's figures, it proved that it's not just key forwards goal kicking that hasn't improved for decades. It's actually your gun midfielders who are the bigger culprits on last year's data and the data that's coming through on recent seasons. Some of the greatest midfielders of the now are some of the worst kicks at goal in modern midfield history. Maybe because they practice stoppages so much uh, and goal kicking so little, I don't know. But I've got a list of the worst midfield kicks for goal and the all-time Great and current best kicks for goal from your midfield. So your thoughts on this one three hundred seven three six seven three six. If you'd like to join the discussion, heaps to give away as well. By the way, bottles of Starwood twofold double grain Australian whiskey. Thanks to Harry Dog's Summer of Aussie Spirit. HarryDog.com.au. Got some Carlton merchandise packs as well, including a twenty twenty three member scarf cap and a six game membership. You can become a three-game Carlton member, and the club will double your access to six games, all for just $99, given that it is Carlton membership today on SEN. And George Hewitt's going to join us later on in the program. So Gary Ablett Jr., one of the all-time best, most accurate midfield goal kickers in stat history. So that might not surprise you at all that it's Gary Ablett Jr. On stats alone, if you gave Gary Ablett Jr. 100 shots on the run or set shot, he will kick it 20 more goals by accuracy alone than Patrick Cripps, Clayton Oliver, Christian Petrarca or Ollie Wines. Gazza would kick you 15 more goals on accuracy alone than Marcus Bottompelli, Nat Fife, or Hugh McCluggage. So kick percentage for midfielders at goal. Gary Ablett Jr. is plus 10 on the percentage average chart. Scott Pendlebury, very good kick at goal when he gets the chance. He's plus 5% on the percentage average chart. Dustin Martin plus 3%. That's probably no surprise to anybody. Whereas Clayton Oliver minus 8%. 8% below the average for midfielder goal kicking accuracy. Patrick Cripps minus 8%. Ollie Wines minus 8%. Dylan Cheel minus 6%. Hugh McCluggage minus 6%. Christian Petrarca minus 5%. 
Marcus Bonapelli, minus 3%. And these are all superstars of the game. Nat Fife, minus 3%. Josh Kelly, minus 3%. Patrick Dangerfield, minus 1%. So AFL superstar midfielders of the modern game, yes. But below average goal kickers for accuracy rate. Let me give you some of... Well, Christian Petrarca's goal kicking percentage last season was 26%. So last season alone, Christian Petrarca... Maybe it was just a bad season. Maybe he just had an extraordinarily bad year. But 26%, some of the all-time great midfielder percentages of goal. Jason Ackermanis, when you think of Acker, 58% at goal when he had shots. So he kicked 421 goals, 310, Acker. Darren Jarman, better than 58%. He was 64%. He kicked 386 goals, 210. And that's why his name is always raised when great midfield kick discussions are had. Great field kick, Darren Jarman. Great goal kicker at 64%. Greg Williams, career accuracy at goal, 56%. He kicked 217 goals, 166. Craig Bradley, career accuracy at goal, 56%. 247 goals, 192. Most of the greats were at least over 50%. Nathan Buckley, Sam Mitchell, Simon Black. But last year, here's a batch of the star mids that were under 50%. And a few of these uh, are outside of the ones I've just mentioned. Shea Bolton. 44%. 44%. Marcus Bonapelli, 45%. Jake Stringer, 45%. Jordan DeGowie, 42%. Connor Rosie, 46%. So it's not just your key forwards that are costing you a goal or two per game with their poorer goal kicking. It's a few of your star midfielders as well. Your thoughts on all of that? one three hundred seven three six seven three six is the number. If you'd like to join me, got a heap of other stuff to give away, including um, a couple of La Cabra vouchers as well. The goat of Melbourne Mexican food, La Cabra. Mike in Geelong wants to talk to cricket as well. Muzza on the road wants to talk goal-kicking efficiency. We'll start with you, Muzza. Welcome to you. Okay, Glenn. Uh, yeah, kicking, it's, <laughs> kicking and handballing is up to say is the most important aspect of the AFL game. Now, I just wonder how much time did I spend at training um, on field kicking and kicking in general? And we've heard there's been you know legends of the game like Lloyd and, and BT going to clubs at various stages to help practice their goal kicking, but they're only there for short periods of time. Um, I'd say they don't spend nowhere near as much time as they should in um, in kicking and, and and on the non-preferred side as well. Well, a lot of these guys are reasonably good field kicks normally, uh, so they can hit a target under pressure in the field. It's just that when it comes to goal, maybe they need to practice more goal kicking. Muscle, whatever time they're putting into it now, if they read these figures, you'd be practicing it more. And I know some of the older guys, I know how hard they did practice. I mean, Craig Bradley was ridiculous how often he practiced. And I know how much he practiced because we'd often wag school and practice together. So, and, and as bad as that sounds, um, to a lot of parents probably driving around now, um, if it was your craft, it was your craft. Uh, appreciate your call, Muzza. Uh, if you've got a thought on this, Jeff and Manalates are coming to you. Muzza, hold the line. We've got something for you straight up. You've got a La Cabra voucher, the goat of Melbourne Mexican food, La Cabra. I hope they do think about practising a bit more and not just wipe it off as, oh, well, it was bad luck last year. I, I just had a bad luck kind of year because um, there's a few coming through. Uh, you know, Craig Bradley, Greg Williams, Toby Bairstow, never missed as well. Keep your texts coming through. I'll read a heap of those out, 0433 98 11 16 on the 40 Winks temper text. Uh, Jeff in Manor Lakes, your thoughts on this, Jeff? Welcome to you. G'day, Dwayne. I think the thing is, what you've got to look at now compared to, you know, those other errors, 
is that there's a lot of fatigue in the game now, especially those midfields who are playing 80, 90% of the game time and they're so fast-paced compared to, you know, your era and, and everything like that. But also the thing is we need to take into consideration is that they only get 30 seconds now to have a kick for goal. Whereas previously, I can't remember when it came in, previously you could take as long as you wanted. So I, I still think it comes down to the sports science guys have a lot to answer for because they don't want the players kicking so much, whether it be at training, whether it be kicking for goal, etc. They want to limit the amount of kicking they have. Every forward and midfielder should at least have, I reckon, 30 shots of goal every training session so that they can make sure that they get it right. Yeah, Jeff. but if it's costing you a goal a game, then maybe the high-performance guys need to be overridden by the coaching staff and say, no, no, we need to work on this. It's costing us a goal a game. And I know what you're saying about, oh, there's a few coming through. It's the sports scientists that have ruined it. Uh, get rid of the computer nerds. That's from Davos. There's a lot of those coming through supporting your theory on that, Jeff. Appreciate it. If you've got a theory on this, then by all means, jump on the line, one 736 Jeff, you've got a round of golf for you and three mates at Epic Arena with beverages. Great prize. We've got a few of these to give away. Epic Arena with beverages. Immerse yourself in Epic Golf at Epic Arena. Hold the line. We'll let you know how to pick it up. Uh, John on the road, you've got a theory on this. Welcome to you, John. Yeah, thank you, Dwayne. Yeah, just a couple of things. Um, the, your previous caller just made a very good point, actually, on having more time to, to kick for goal. Uh, it would make a huge difference um, if, um, if they got those extra few seconds to be a bit less pressure. So if you want accuracy, you perhaps have to consider that. The other thing I was going to say, well, with on-ballers and all the power training that they do these days and field kicking during training, if they stay, if they stay back for goal kicking practice afterwards, they have no hip flexors left. It would really take its toll on their hip flexors. So there's no way they could finish training and then have 30 or 40 shots for goal. I think you would either have to organise a designated kicking day for goal, which would be for everybody, but you just couldn't do it, Dwayne. It would just it would create too many injuries. Yeah, I get what you're saying, John, but there is other mechanisms to do it, and different goal-kicking guys have done it in different ways. Like, I know some who kick balloons quite a bit, get a balloon to spin. If you can get a balloon to spin like a drop punt, it's a lot of... It's a ball drop craft as well as just a kicking craft. Getting your ball drop right is key, and getting your ball drop over your kicking foot in the right manner is key as well. So you can actually do it without ruining your hip flexor by getting practices. Uh, I know there's not many squash courts around these days, but that was something that I did on my left for years. Um, Go and hire a squash court for a couple of hours and just kick to yourself up against the wall. You don't have to kick full-blooded, but it helps with your ball drop and it helps you get repeated kick after kick after kick after kick without having someone on the field retrieving the balls for you. Uh, There might not be too many squash courts around these days that will let someone walk in with a football either. But, you know, there is ways of having repetitive... Uh, mechanism practice without actually ruining your hip flexor. Appreciate your call, John. Robert in Ivanhoe, you got a thought? Welcome to you, Robert. Yeah, good day, Dwayne. Um, love listening to the show. Um, I thought I'd say about the uh, goal kicking that uh, one thing that I think has changed in the last couple of years is um, forwards playing on, kicking around the body, 
um, and not going back and taking a set shot. I know uh, Harry Mackay in the first um, practice game, he went back and definitely made a decision to do drop punts rather than, um, you know, kicking around the corner and so forth. So I think that's made a Just on that, Robert. And... Yeah, just on that, I yep. asked Patrick Cripps this exact question yesterday. So Patrick Cripps, captain of Carlton, was on the program yesterday at the Captain's Day. I watched that practice game, and you're right. Harry Mackay was kicking more drop punts than ever. Now, he'll still kick, he'll still kick the hook kick in the right-hand pocket. He'll still bend around, but he was kicking more drop punts in that practice game than he had for ages. Patrick Cripps told me that was garbage yesterday, that it wasn't right. So I, I, maybe my eyes were deceiving me as well. Robert, I thought that from watching that game. Yeah, I, I think that was definitely the case. And he, he cost a couple of games last year because of the playing on and kicking around the corner. Um, so I, I think psychologically he's gone back and, and given that a lot more thought. And um, I'd be also interested to know who the actual forwards coaches are, you know, and, and what their uh, conversion rate was. Um, because if, if they're the ones giving the coaching and they, they haven't got a great result themselves, well, no doubt that's going to flow onto the uh, forwards for that team. Yeah, it's not just the forward coach either. It's probably the midfield coaches because the midfielders probably don't spend a lot of time with the forwards coach. So the midfielders got to take it themselves and say, look, I need to improve my goal kicking. So I'm not a great kicker goal from 45 or 50, so I need to improve it. And we have seen a few modern-day midfielders who just won't take the shot now. So they're too reluctant to take the shot. They'd rather go for the crazy, impossible pass than actually taking the shot from 45. Whereas, you know, in the old days, you just had guys who... I mean, Darren Jarman would just take the shot because he knew that he was a good chance of kicking it. So the more confident kicker goal you are, the more you've practised, the more you believe in yourself, the more likely you are to take the shot because you believe you'll kick it. Great to have you call, Robert. Uh, really appreciate it. And given you mentioned Carlton, you've got the Carlton Merchandise Pack including a 2023 member scarf, cap and six-game membership. Become a three-game Carlton member and the club will double your access to six games, all from just $99. Uh, Dan in Rye, you got a thought on this? Dan, welcome to you. Yeah, uh, hi, Dwayne. Um, yeah, you stole my thunder there a bit, but I agree with you. It's 70 80% uh, technique and ball drop. If you look at Gary Ablett and the way he positioned the ball onto his boot, he minimised the distance between hand and foot. And it's just pure repetition and practice of that skill is what gives you the accuracy. And if you look at guys like Petrarca or Fife and some of these more inaccurate guys, you just wince at the, the, the distance that they put between their hand and their boot. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And I, that's where the balloon technique is something that I've seen used by players before. A, a, a slower, a, a ball drop is so essential when it comes to dropping a balloon correctly so it turns onto your boot at the right uh, cadence, if you like it. And look, I've mentioned Craig Bradley before, but uh, he broke his arm once kicking a, a pair of rolled-up socks in his lounge room because he ran himself into a corner and fell over the lounge, broke his wrist and couldn't play for a while. So, yeah, I mean, there was... And another text has come through on this. Once upon a time, kids were kicking in the street for hours and hours, and maybe they just don't kick in the street like they used to. Uh, Dan, and I appreciate that text as well. It's a different world, so maybe we're never going to get the accuracy of the Darren Jarman's of the world. Maybe you're never going to get, you know, Jason Ackermanis is 58% ever again. We're going to just have to live with the under 50% brigade, which we've got a lot of now. Uh, the beautiful thing is we've got a couple that are over 50% right now, like Scott Pendlebury and Dustin Martin. But there's a lot of them 
I mean, there's a, guy, a lot of guys I haven't mentioned yet. I mean, I mentioned Shea Bolton, 44%, but Isaac Rankin, 48%, uh, Michael Walters, 44%, Fremantle fans. Um, you know, that, that was his accuracy rate last year. Um, oh, Hugh McLuggage, 46%. So it's not just the key forwards. Let's right back to your calls for Midday Madness. Mark in Derrimut on the goal-kicking issue. Welcome to you, Mark. Are you good to get your opinion? Yeah, how you going, guys? Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for the, um, you know, for the experience on the goal kicking. So I've just um, come down from Queensland and I've signed up with an Aussie Rules club. And um, yeah, my kicks tend to go um, any which way but straight ahead. So um, it's not an easy ball to kick. And um, you know, the the insight from professionals um, definitely gives me a little bit of uh, incentive. So. Thank you. Great to have you call, Mark. Good luck with your evolution into becoming an AFL player. And there is nothing better than watching old vision of some of the greats. So ball drop, all that kind of stuff, the mechanism that the old guys used. Uh, you don't necessarily need you know, advice from people that have got a voice like me. Sometimes it's just there for you on YouTube if you do want to research it yourself. Uh, Dave in Waterways, you got a thought on this. Welcome to you, Dave. Yeah, mate. Dwayno, you bloody legend, mate. Fair dinkum. I fully agree with what you said about kicking footies in the street with your kids. I used to do that with my kids when they were about five years old. I'd stab past them and nearly knock them onto the road when they took a chest yes. mark. But it, 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 yep. it showed in their junior football, their kicking was brilliant. Of all the so, kicks that I ever saw kick a ball, my father was my hero when it came to the drop kick, the step pass. And he was right. He'd put it through your chest. And he was a- accurate just about every time. And it was, it was the timing of a step pass, maybe because the step pass was used by old guys back in the day. The, the timing to be able to drop the ball correctly and time your leg swing for a step pass had to be spot on. No wonder guys don't do it anymore because it, is a, it, it was an art form. And kicking with your dad or your mum... I mean, if you can get out in the backyard more often with your parents, I know it's a different world, but my dad and I would kick over the house. I only had a small house in Paraka, but we'd kick over the house backyard to front yard, um, you know, sometimes even in the dark. So when it was coming at you, you wouldn't see it until, you know, the last 20 or so metres as it was coming down at you. So, yeah, I mean, kicking with your mum and dad or your brother or your mate or the kid next door is something that maybe doesn't get done anymore. Uh, Ronnie, appreciate your call, by the way, Dave. Ronnie and Bendigo, you there, Ronnie? Jay Dwayne, hope you're having a fantastic Friday. Um, I am. Just wanted to touch, touch on a couple of things. Um, the previous caller that said Harry Mackay probably cost Carlton a couple of games is, you know, I think there's been a lot of players that have missed shots on goal. I know Harry's there to kick goals, but I don't think he necessarily was the panacea, so it's not making the finals. Anyway, um, I think f- fatigue in the players is the main, you know, amongst other things that have been mentioned, I reckon fatigue of the players is a big contributing factor because they're, Everyone admits they're running faster, running longer, running harder in games. Um, that's the first point. Second point. Yeah, I'll accept um, that. Uh, do you uh, have you taken much note of the uh, of all the, f- the fanfare between uh, uh, Tim Zoo and Tony Harrison before the fight on Sunday? And what are your thoughts? Is it going to be a uh, is it going to go the distance, or is Tim going to um, get the chocolates before he has a chance to take out Charlo? Not going to weigh into something that I know nothing about, Ronnie, so boxing's not my portfolio. Uh, Sammy Edmund gave me the brief 
just before I came on. I hope it's a good fight. I probably will sample it now that there's been a lot of talk about it. And on this program on Monday, a lot of the stuff I do watch on the weekend when it's not something I would normally watch is watched because I know people will probably ring about it on Monday and I need to know about it. So, yeah, I think I'll take that fight in on Sunday. So let's talk about it Monday and uh, we'll have a chat about what went down. Uh, appreciate your call, Ronnie. Always good to be able to expand the horizons. So we've got this, a weekend this weekend where there's plenty to watch outside of the AFL, uh, including some Melbourne Storm, which we'll talk about a little bit later on with Frank Panisi. Back to your calls. I know Mike in Geelong wants to talk some cricket. Alex, I know you're on the line as well. Uh, a couple of texts that have come through. Uh, bring back the plastic footy. Uh, another one here. Some of the most accurate goal kickers in history, like Peter Hudson, Jason Dunstall, Tony Lockett, Jason Ackermanis used to place the ball, the football on the boot, not drop the football on their boot. Uh, how good was watching Gazza run into Coldwain? Small ball drop, seemed to drop the point of the ball onto his foot for a fast-spinning drop punt. Epic. That's from Hamdog in Torquay. There has been a lot of superstar smooth movers in the midfield, and they were magnificent, including Gary Ablett Jr. Uh, not every kid, not enough kids kick on the street or in the park every day these days like they used to. Dwayne's World, Dwayne's World for Master Builders Victoria. Get expert legal support. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. And for Athena Home Loans, pay down your home loan faster with Athena. Straight back to your calls and your texts for Midday Madness. A bit of love for Uzi, Jared in Ringwood. Yeah, we're crossing to India to speak to Adam Collins in about an hour from now to get a little preview of day two. So we'll be talking a lot of Uzi then. If you're unaware of what's happened in the cricket in the fourth test, well, Australia brilliantly poised Four for 255 at stumps on day one. Usman Khawaja, 104 not out. And Cameron Green, 49 not out. Um, one, that theory of the kids not on the street kicking footballs anymore. It's the same with a lot of backyards now. Backyards are a lot smaller uh, than you had when we were teenagers. You can't go kicking around in the backyard like you once did. Paul, yeah, it's probably true. Although I do remember growing up and kicking in the corridors of the house. Maybe you're not allowed to kick in the corridors of houses anymore with rolled up socks and balloons and uh, Nerf footballs, etc. But if you want to kick uh, with your parents or your brother, I'm sure there's avenues and places that you can go to kick, even if it's not the um, front medium strip anymore. Um, I learned to kick a torp by kicking over the house, backyard to front yard. If I got it wrong, it ended up next door or on the roof. Exactly. And that was the big penalty. You've got to climb on the roof or, uh, heaven forbid, knock on the neighbour's door and see if they'd let you get the footy from the backyard. And if you had bad neighbours, sometimes you'd end up losing your footy for a couple of days, especially if they had a big dog and they weren't home. Uh, hey, Duano, what's the best two or three tips you could pass on about goal-kicking techniques by the coaches all being close to the greats like Gazza? Chris, in Bateman's Bay, Chris, my advice would be, to if you're a current player or a kid, is watch Old Vision. So watch the great guys. Watch what Jason Ackermanis kicked like. Watch what... Craig Bradley or Greg Williams. Get old vision. Have a look at Darren Jarman. Have a look at old tape and the way they dropped the ball, the way they ran toward the goal, what their mechanism was like. You don't need me to, to tell you how to kick, and I'm probably the guy that you shouldn't ask. There's old vision there. And my advice would be look at your own technique, tape your own technique, look at your technique side by side with an Ackermanis or a Greg Williams or a Darren Jarman and make your own assessment. I get asked about commentary advice all the time by people what give me some advice on commentary what I should do with commentary and I often say to them well do you watch what you've done back do you watch your, your film that you've commentated back whether it's local footy or you know the AFLW game or whatever and a lot of people say no I don't like watching myself back and my advice to them is always well what how can I give you advice on you when you don't even critique yourself 
So that's my advice. Critique yourself before, because sometimes you're the best critic of your own mechanism. You're the best critic of yourself before someone else gives you advice on what you should change. Mike in Geelong, you want to talk some cricket though. Mike, welcome to you. Oh, thanks, Dwayne. How are you going? Good, thanks. That's good. Hey, I just wanted to touch on yesterday's play, and I've just, um, I'm not sure whether it was um, a, a coach's thing or whether it was a Steve Smith and um, um, Kawaja thing to go out and actually see out a session and make the Indian fielders actually sweat it out for a while out there because you watched them yesterday. They're actually getting the yeah. ice packs on the back of the neck and actually struggling a bit. And it, Cameron Green actually cashed in on the end of the day's play because of what Steve Smith did, even though he missed out on the on the runs in one sense. But he, you know, to not lose a wicket in the middle session really set him up. And I, I just thought it was a really great sort of bit of thought into it for once. So where did this old school patience come from all of a sudden? Because talk about learning from history and learning from, you know, the Darren Jarmans of the world. Once upon a time, that was the thing that happened in India. Well, it's just happened in test cricket anyway. Actually walking to the crease with patience, Mike. So are we going to have this debate? If Australia win this test, will we have a debate on whether Steve Smith's captaincy has been better than, it's, you know, Pat Cummins' captaincy? Do you, because the, the mentality seemed to be right yesterday. Oh, most definitely. And look, you feel for Pat Cummins in a way because he's still only early in his captaincy. So he's trying to, I think he's trying to listen to a lot too many people rather than just sort of taking things on by himself. Whereas Steve Smith just took it upon himself yesterday. He just saw out the ball, you know, and they just, you know, they they had patience yesterday. And it was great to actually watch. And they've got to understand it's a five-day set of play, not three days is what we're getting rolled in. Yeah, like I agree on with you, Mike. There's a lot of people, and I heard the callers earlier on with SEN, and Sammy Edmund did say it, it wasn't as exciting as the last couple of tests, tests when, you know, there were three days and there was action every ball and you were hanging off every ball because something crazy could happen every ball. But there's something about being, I shouldn't say bored with test cricket, there's something about watching test cricket long form where you would just rather you guys go in and be there for the long haul and rather than play the ridiculous taking-a-chance shot where... Uh, oh, yeah, I've got the licence to go for it. If I get out, it's not my fault because that's just the way we play these days. Be entertaining. Um, take on the radical shot. It's the way that the mentality of the 2023 Test cricketers uh, are taking on the game. But I like the old school of, no, we're just going to be patient and stay a session. And if I end up batting for two days, well, so be it um, because I'm going to be patient about the way I go about it and at least... Uh, get a, get my eye in for a little while, for at least a you know a half an hour to an hour before I start playing anything more extravagant. A shot. Um, great to have you call, Ryan in Bandura. Welcome to you, Ryan. Yeah, good day, Dwayne. How's it going? Yeah, good. What are your thoughts? Well, I just thought I'd make a couple of comments um, about the the comparison between goal kicking and field kicking. I think um, it's a little bit inaccurate at times because. With kicking a field kick, obviously the receiver of the mark can make small adjustments if they're either leading or playing into the mark. And if you think about a goal, either side of the centre, maybe three metres. So if you're aiming straight to the middle, you've got a small error margin of error, except you know a small tweak in the direction that you're running on a lead or a small adjustment from the mark or a receiver of the ball may appear like it's landing straight in their lap, but actually it's been quite a bit of deviant or variation from where the intended yep. target actually was. So I think that's 
sometimes it's a little bit, little bit misleading just to compare field kicking to goal kicking. So I thought I'd just comment on that. But the other one is... Um, that emphasised the point, though, isn't it? They should practice their goal... These midfielders should practice their goal kicking because it's a different kick. Exactly, yeah. Totally. And, um, and probably different technique as well, right? So, um, and then the other one is uh, the sports science. There's a lot of commentary around sports science and I guess a lot of that's driven from the greater athleticism and durability that um, every player in the field has now. And it's so expected of a forward to be able to put in high kilometres, high miles and be able to outwork their opponent, get up the ground. And if you compare a lot of the greats that, that will sort of stick within the 50 metre arc. So it's just a very different forward craft now. And I think it's hard to say, well, you know, you've cost a go- to team a goal because you didn't kick straight. But if you didn't have the durability and the athleticism to be able to run up the ground and back and down, then you probably potentially cost the team more. And it's, it's a bit harder to measure because you haven't got that immediate response or, or um, you know, metric to measure the, the outcome against. Now, I'm not arguing yeah. that there's a, you know, a need to improve goal kicking, but I just think that sometimes you need to be mindful of the nuances when you're thinking about the you know, sports science and obviously the field kicking and so on. Yeah, I get and the fear, the fatigue issue is a factor because they're running up and back. I get that. But and I know that there's it's a congested inside fifty these days in comparison, so there's not as much space. But to weigh that up against what it was like in the old days, I mean these current players are not playing with a wet, muddy ball. So there's no mud. The grounds are perfect. You're playing on carpet. You've got a new ball to start well, sometimes you get two new balls a quarter. So you've got new balls, you got Marble Stadium, which has got a roof on it, so there's no windy grounds. There was mass complaints last week. Oh, how bad was the game at Moorabbin because it was windy? Guess what? All these old guys that I've been talking about, they played at Moorabbin in the wind. So all of a sudden you get one game in the wind and it's impossible to play decent footy. So the parameters of goal kicking back then had a lot of variations that made it tougher than they are now, playing under the roof at Marvel on carpet. The other thing about fatigue is I get fatigue but let me read you some of the great goal kicks of the modern game. So Tom Lynch kicks at 64%. Fatigue's not reckon his goal kicking numbers. Bailey Fritch, he runs up and back. He kicks goals at 63%. Peter Wright, he runs up and back. He kicks a goal at 62%. Mitch Lewis, 66%. Uh, Jack Darling, 67%. Darcy Fogarty, 65%. Matt Taberner kicks at 68%. Harry Himmelberg, he kicks at 76%. So these are greats of the now that actually do do the running up and back, and they're accurate. So if you give Matt Taberner 100 shots at goal, he will kick you 68 goals, 32. If you give Max King the same 100 shots, he'll kick you 49 goals, 51. That's 19 goals difference between Matt Taberner and Max King, which is roughly a goal a game. So some can do it, some can't. So tell me why some can kick with fatigue and some can't. And there's no fatigue as a factor when you're having a shot at goal five minutes into a game. Grab out your calls from Midday Madness. Mark in Canberra's on the line. Welcome to you, Mark. Good afternoon, Dwayne. Um, far be it for me to tell professional footballers how to, kick a, how to kick a goal. But one thing I do know from personal experience coaching my son, because of some tips that we got, is that the best goal kickers run straight and kick straight. Now, one thing I notice about a lot of goal kickers, they run out to the side thinking they need a bit more distance and so whether it be left or right foot. But the good goal kickers, and Tom Lynch is a really good example um, that I can think of, he runs straight at goal. Generally, Jack Rewalt Rewalt runs straight at goal. 
Um, now, ball drop's really important, of course, but you've got to run at your target. It's, it's exactly like golf. If you want to hit the ball in a particular place, you've got to hit, aim at that place. Um, so, I mean, that's that's the biggest change a lot of a lot of goalkeepers could make, or a lot of players could make, and that is run straighten up and and kick straight at your target. I think that's I think it's Which as, if really they watch, as simple as that. Yeah, I agree with you, Mark. If they watch Lockett, they watch Dunstall, they've got to find that. that. If they watch Darren Jarman, they've got to find that. That's what they'll see on that vision. Now, I think your point was also the floor was accentuated last year with the stand rule. Players looking to try and get an extra three or four metres closer to goal by running around the guy on the mark. And it messed up their technique because they weren't used to that. So the straight run towards goal was all of a sudden a, a play on run around kick and it messed their ball drop up. So I'm agreeing with you on that. I appreciate your call. Paul in Port Melbourne. Welcome to you, Paul. You want to talk some cricket and some TV commentary as well. Welcome to you. Hey, Dwayne. How you doing? Uh, Good. Uh, I've been enjoying the um, SEN commentary, but uh, have also been watching the, uh, the TV and listening to what they've got to say, and I, I just can't help but feel there's a fair bit of bias coming for the home team on the TV commentary. Um, the first couple of tests, the Aussies were going a bit too hard, and they kept on being told to have a bit more patience and suddenly yesterday in probably the day that Australia clearly won um, the likes of Steve Smith and and co were told they uh, they had too much patience they weren't attacking enough and it also it, it leaked into what Matthew Hayden and um, Mitchell Johnson had to say as well so just interested in your thoughts on uh, on that one yeah look I I think the patient side of things is something that that annoyed me that we showed a lack of patience in those first two tests. I mean, the sweeping mentality, taking... I mean, baseball's changed the way that a lot of test nations might play test cricket, but there is something beautiful about growing a team into the deck, actually making them stay out, keep them bowling, and force them to work harder for their wickets rather than taking, you know, playing the the crazy hero shot early in your innings because taking bowlers on is what we do these days. But I, look, I'm also in my 50s, so maybe I'm a little bit different. Maybe that's not the way test cricket is played these days, Paul. But it just seemed to be good for us. It might not be good for the commentary, and it might not be good for ratings to have a, a test that goes five days and has sessions where there's no wickets falling. But this probably is going to be good for ratings to have a test that goes five days. So I'm not sure what the, the broadcaster would rather. A test that goes three days and you can't take your eyes off it, so the numbers are huge. Or a test that goes five days and gives us five days of watching because there's something beautiful, I think, about test cricket sitting back on a Saturday or a Sunday and it's a bit like it's background music for you. The cricket's on in the background and it's not always action-packed. Sometimes you're doing something that's not even watching the cricket. You're in the kitchen or you're darning your socks or whatever and then all of a sudden there is some action and you put your eyes to it. There's a beauty of, of test cricket that is background music for us all to give us the soundtrack of our summer. And it doesn't have to be watching every ball. Appreciate your call, Paul, down in Port Melbourne. Got something for you. Uh, we've got a bottle of Starwood two-fold double-grain Australian whiskey, thanks to Hairy Dog Summer of Aussie Spirits coming your way. Hairydog.com.au. Midday Madness for rjsanderson.com.au. RJ Sanderson and Associates are accountants and taxation specialists. Take the stress out of tax. Vincent Plumpton, welcome to you. Vince, you got a thought on the goal kicking? Yes, uh, Dwayne. Um, just having a thought, you, I, might, I could be wrong, but do you think because the game's a lot faster, 
a lot quicker these days comparison back to the you know the era of like you know you're talking about Craig Bradley and stuff. Um, it seems like with the shot clock as well, like players don't have that uh, time to you know basically take a big breath and just line up for goal and 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 you know really concentrate. I think now the game's just so quick that players feel under pressure, the adrenaline's running through them. I think they don't you know take a big breath and just have that bit of extra time. I mean, if Matthew Lloyd was uh, playing all these days, you know, if the, his uh, approach to goal, you know, throwing up the grass, then I wonder if he would feel under pressure and be as accurate. What are your thoughts about that one? I reckon Matthew Lloyd, I think Matthew Lloyd would be more accurate now, given the Essendon play their games at Marvel. I think Jason Dunstall and Tony Lockett would be more accurate now. I know that they'd have the, the goal-kicking timing constraints, but to, to weigh up against the fatigue factor and the 30-second shot clock factor... As I mentioned earlier, is this idea that the grounds... We hear from the AFLW players a lot, and the AFL players, it's really difficult playing on suburban grounds. Well, guess what? That's where footy was once played. Windy Hill was windy. Moorabbin was windy and muddy. So the parameters of playing in those conditions are a lot more difficult. I mean, there, there was more grud than um, mud than grass on some of the grounds that these great kicks were playing on. So it, it, I think it balances up. To be honest, I know that there's less time and it's more congestion and more fatigue these days, so heart rates are higher. But, you know, playing at Windy Hill, playing at Moorabbin, these were difficult places to play at with windy, tough, breezy conditions. I mean, sometimes you had sleet and hail blowing in your face. So, yeah, I think it, I think it balances up. I think of Matthew Lloyd, if you gave him every shot that he's ever had in his career and weighed that up with the Windy Hill games all played at Marvel, I reckon his accuracy rate would maybe go up. A couple of texts. I appreciate your call, Vince. Uh, a couple of texts. Uh, Dwayne, um, agree, Dwayne, test cricket should allow you to go to the loo uh, and come back and then watch it and not miss anything. Uh, what about when Max kicks one out on the full? Surely that's what happens at least one in a hundred times. Yeah, I know Max King's just one example. I mean, Max, I probably shouldn't have just raised Max King as the example when I compared him to the great goal kickers. But if you, so take Harry Himmelberg. If he gave him 100 shots, Harry Himmelberg, 76% of goals. So he would kick you 76 goals, 24. You give Mitch Georgiades the same amount of shots, Mitch Georgiades kicks at 43%. He'd kick you 43 goals, 57. That's Himmelberg kicking you 33 more goals than Mitch Georgiades by accuracy rate per 100 shots. Always great to have your company for Dwayne. Well, 1-300-736-736 is the open line number. 1-300-736-736. Straight back to your calls. And your text, George Hewitt, to join us in around 20 minutes from now. Carlton Star, that open line for Werribee Kia, awarded the prestigious National Kia Car Dealer of the Year Award. Werribee Kia, where else? Keep your text coming through as well, 0433981116. Don't mind being told when I got it wrong. And, yes, Matthew Lloyd, probably a bad example. Didn't play at Windy Hill, played at Marble Stadium. So I appreciate those texts coming through. Maybe I should have raised Paul Salmon as the example. So I can use Tony Lockett as the example. Tony Lockett kicked... For his career at 70%. So one of the all-time greats, Jason Dunstall, for his career, kicked at 66%. So if those two played their entire career uh, and had the amount of games maybe at Marble Stadium, then maybe they would have kicked more accurately. Obviously, they didn't play, wouldn't have played for their home club at Marble Stadium, although Lockett would have played a lot at Marvel as a St Kilda player, if not a Swans player. Maybe I should have used Paul Salmon as the example, played the majority of his career, a lot of it at Windy Hill. So Paul Salmon's accuracy rate, 65%, Paul Salmon. Kicked 561 goals, 303. So would his accuracy rate have been better if he played less games at Windy Hill and more games at Marvel 
uh, maybe. Uh, so thanks for all of you that have texted through. Lloyd never played at Windy Hill. You're way out. Dome was open in 2000. Uh, he played plenty of games there. I appreciate it. Hi, Dwayne. Grew up kicking rolled up socks in the corridor, then went outside, lived on a farm and kicked the footy down the paddock. I suppose I was lucky to grow up in an era where, you know, I had friends down the road who had a big paddock as their backyard. I did grow up, grow up in the middle of the Abattoir's paddocks and they had goals in their backyard. So you could actually play games. Uh, darning your socks with the cricket in the background. Amazing. I love you, Dwayne. Never change. Marie in Fitzroy. Those were the days, Marie, hey? When you darned your own socks, didn't throw them out just because they had a hole in it. You'd get your mum to sew the hole up or you'd sew it up your damn self, as we were sometimes told. Um, agreed, Dwayne. Test cricket should allow you to uh, have plenty of time to, to get back. Anthony, in Port Melbourne, when you're doing other things, uh, you don't miss much. What about uh, stop talking about boring cricket? Bloody footy season, mate. Thanks for that. Petrarca has put in a heap of work on his goal kicking over summer. Expect a noticeable improvement in 2023. So I do expect a noticeable improvement in Christian Petrarca. But he's not going to kick a goal at 26% again like he did last year. But we've got to get him over 50%. That's the issue. Getting these midfielders over 50% because so many of them are below 50%. And as I mentioned earlier, Greg Williams, 56%. Darren Jarman, 64%. Craig Bradley, 56%. Jason Ackermanis, what was Jason? Uh, 58%. So these guys, you know, the all-time greats were well over 50%. So the average AFL goal-kicking averages, just for the, for the facts of it. So back in 2015, goal-kicking was running at above 50% across the board. But in 2020, it dropped, or 2019, it dropped to almost an all-time low of 46% across the board. So... It has dipped significantly in recent seasons. So goal kicking has become worse. Although, in saying that, it went back up in 2022 to 48.8%. So maybe we are heading, hopefully, back to the days where, across the board, most guys can kick it better than 50%, and those that are kicking it under 50% get their backsides kicked. Um, Cameron in Port Punka wants to talk some commentary and some cricket. Welcome to you, Cameron. Hey, Dwayne. How are you, buddy? Good, thanks. Um, Mate, look, I love cricket. I just love it. You know, I made a 50 for West Ivanhoe once, and it's the, probably one of the happiest days of my life. But it's got to the stage now where I almost can't stand to watch or listen to cricket, and I need you to help me. Where has the directive to commentators come from that you cannot call a batsman a batsman anymore? They have to be referred to as a batter. I know it probably doesn't bother you, but it just it's yep. like... Nails on a chalkboard to me, mate. With this men's cricket, they're batsmen, they're men. Why can't they say bats? Women's cricket, call them batters, no problems. But why can't they be called batsmen, please? I think it's just trying to be inclusive, Cameron. I think it's just, I think the want to be more inclusive with women when it comes to talking about sport in general. So, and I get that, and I'm, and I'm with it. So it might be nails on a blackboard to you. And a lot of people, I get that. A lot of people don't like it. But all I'm saying is if we can take little steps to become more inclusive when it comes to being uh, embracing of women in sport, then it's a really small step to take. I mean, a, a minor thing like calling a batsman a batter is something that I think we can all kind of say, OK, well, let's do that. It's a small thing, might grate on some people, but I think the overall goal is to become more inclusive and involve women more. And that's a small step, I think, that is an easy one to take. So... Yeah, I get where it upsets you and it's grating to you, but to me, and I'll say batsman occasionally, accidentally, 
But it's a matter of just trying to be more inclusive on the whole. And I'm the same on this program. I want to be inclusive. I want to have women and men contribute to this show. I don't want it to make it seem as if it's blokes talking to blokes about bloke stuff all the time. So appreciate your call, Cameron. And just because you disagree with me doesn't mean I'm not going to give you something. It's a good discussion to have. And that's the reason why we use the word batter and to try to be more inclusive as a world in general in all facets of life, not just in sport broadcasting. You've got a Carlton merchandise pack, including a 2023 member scarf, cap and six-game membership. Become a three-game Carlton member and the club will double your access to six games, all for just $99. And it is Carlton Membership Day today on SEN. Become a three-game Carlton member and the club will double your access to six games, all for just $99. George Hewitt to join us a little bit later on in the program. Alex in North Lake, welcome to you, Alex. G'day, Dwayne. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I've watched a lot of football in my time and clearly the goal kicker that stands out as the most accurate and the best goal kicker was a guy called Austin Robinson who played for CD Echo in the 70s and 80s. In one year he kicked over 150 goals. But he pioneered the um, drop punt and he mastered the technique to perfection and he used to practice and practice and practice. When he finished his football career, he got offered his services as a consultant to clubs for coaching on kicking for goal, but no one seemed to take up his offers. And you sort of wonder whether clubs, and they're not interested in improving goal kicking. Well, we had this discussion last year with Matthew Lloyd and Max King. I mean, if, if you had access to Matthew Lloyd, would you use him? Well, St Kilda didn't want to use him, even though Max King had Matthew Lloyd as a as a coach, as a junior, as a, as a high school coach. So, it just seemed like a no-brainer. But because Matthew Lloyd was an outsider, he wasn't a full-time staff member, they didn't want to do it. But it's, it's one thing to have a goal-kicking coach for players. It's another one to, another thing to have a goal-kicking coach that players are prepared to listen. I think Melbourne do have one in Mark Williams where they do listen to their kicking coach, Mark Williams. So I think we are headed down that track now, thankfully, where um, clubs are realising kicking is such an important part of the game. I mean, you can't kick, you can't play these days because, well, as one text here um, rightly points out, where is it? Uh, Poor goal kicking is essentially a turnover. I don't understand why clubs don't place a bigger focus on it. And I'm agreeing with you. I mean, kicking it behind is just giving the ball back to the opposition. So, yeah, it should be put in the book as a turnover, especially if you miss the goal from 20 to 30 out. I mean, it's a... It's a turnover. It's not a behind. Uh, AFL teams have gone through a phase of recruiting athletes rather than natural footballers. Thanks for that text. Uh, hi, Duano. Uh, I'm a Tigers supporter. And I reckon first on your bad cocking list would unfortunately be Shea Bolton. Yeah, he's running it. Well, last, last year he ran at 44%. So um, that's way below the 50% cutoff for acceptable, I think. Speed of the game, running volume, resulting in fatigue, play a big part in modern Midfielders' inaccuracy at goal, one thinks. Yeah, I get that. I understand it. There's more pressure maybe on guys getting clearances out of the middle and kicking a goal. Uh, you're absolutely right about goal kicking. How can an AFL player hit a player on the chest from 50 metres that is 40, 50 centimetres wide and yet miss a goal that is the best part of seven metres wide? It just doesn't make sense, Andrew. And it's because it is, in some ways, a different skill and they need to practice that individual skill. Uh, Hi, Dwayne. All those great pass players like Jarman and Williams also had that accuracy when grounds were wet and heavy, with the ball only getting changed at quarter time. Thanks, Goody, for Murrabark. And that's a good point, as I've made earlier. I mean, the grounds were a lot more difficult in those days to play on. Uh, it's the sports scientists that have ruined it, so there's a few of those coming through. 
Um, Dwayne, you would find that those that run directly toward the middle of the goals would be statistically higher. If you take a moment to reflect on the individuals you've mentioned, with a low return, they almost all snap, rush shots, all sort of angles. That's from Ash. And I agree with you on that, Ash. It seems as if some players almost run themselves into a pocket. So they miss it, they've got an out. It's, oh, it was a difficult shot. Whereas you could have actually taken the time to straighten up and kick straighter. But running to the pocket to give yourself an out because it was a, a miracle shot attempt, I think we shouldn't be swallowing in this day and age. Hi, Dwayne. I know Bucks kicked almost 300. So you know his accuracy, question mark. The other thing to consider is midfielders often use to take harder shots from further out, whereas today's mids often miss. Marie in Fitzroy. Yeah, Bucks ran it over 50% as well. So Nathan Buckley, quite a few of the old greats. I mean, just ran it. They were better than 50% goal kickers. Not all of them up like Darren Jarman to the 64% or Greg Williams 56%, but most of them ran over 50%, were higher than 50%. Uh, The fatigue factor is rubbish. Uh, Many goals are now missed early in games. That's from Brett. So many of your texts coming through. It's been great to have this many texts coming through. Keep them coming on the 40 Winks temper text 0433981116. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks serious about sleep. And if you want to Google temper to find out more about it, T-E-M-P-E-R. Modern day midfielders have a shot from anywhere and they can't use their opposite foot proficiently. Really do, rarely do you see them centre the ball or use their opposite foot. They've been allowed to do this from junior footy. That's from Matt. Yeah, I do remember, I mean, in the old days, left footers were purely left footers and a lot of them couldn't actually kick with their right foot as well. But they were so proficient on their left foot, they'd get away with it. Um, and I love your beauty of test cricket, Pipe. One of my favourite things in summer is an afternoon nap with the cricket on the radio. You wake up quickly if a wicket drops. Uh, pies from Freddie. Thanks for that. Stephen Orman, before we take a break and talk to George Hewitt. You there, Steve? Yeah, g'day. How's it going? Good, thanks. That's great. Yeah, look, I, I feel compelled to call, and I'm not having a, a facetious crack at a call he had a few minutes ago. That he was. I, I tend to agree with him about the why on earth are they call batsmen. But then I sort of had a little five-watt globe go off in my head, and I realised that they don't call the bowler a bowlerman or a bowler woman. It's a bowler and a batsman, so it makes sense to be a bowler and a batter, regardless of whether you're being inclusive or not. It's just a logical progression, I reckon. Makes a lot of sense to me as well. Uh, great to have you call, Steve. I think we've got another Carlton membership pack for you so um, to give away, so I better do that before George Hewitt joins me. Carlton membership day today on SEM. Become a three-game Carlton member, and the club will double your access to six games, all from just $99, and you've got a Carlton merchandise pack Coming your way, 2023 member scarf, cap, and a six-game membership. Welcome back to Dwayne's World. Always great to have so many of your calls and your texts coming through. We'll head back to your calls very, very shortly, so put that number in your phone, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. the open line, which is brought to us by Werribee Kia. But George Hewitt, it's Carlton Membership Day today on SEN. Become a three-game Carlton member, and the club will double your access to six games, all for just $99. Call one three hundred Carlton to take advantage of their SEN exclusive membership offer. George Hewitt's been good enough to join me. Welcome to you, George. Great to have you on the program. Hey, Dwayne. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's exciting for um, Carlton membership day, and uh, yeah, I look forward to being here. This time next week, we'll be talking about how good your win was over Richmond. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the plan. So um, yeah, now we'll hopefully. Um, at least put on a good show and um, we'll give our best shot and yeah, let's hope so. Heard Vossi this morning on SEM Breakfast say that Sam Walsh won't be playing but uh, 
you're pretty close to full fitness, which is good. I'm pretty excited about what your sort of side's going to look like and how your improvement's going to look. Mitch McGovern playing next week's going to be a key as well. He played last night and got through, we understand. Yeah, yeah, he played in the, um, the VFL practice game against Port Melbourne and um, we had about four or five boys running there and he, um, he played really well. Um, he looks really sharp. He was really sharp all pre-season. So, yeah, I'm hoping um, if Mitch can stay injury-free, he could be a really um, key part of this side, which he, we know he can be. Yeah, you kind of do need that other key defender back there. I, I know, you know, Lewis Young's been fighting his hardest over the preseason, but it looks like you've kind of looked one short back there for a little of the preseason. Yeah, like you hear a lot of people saying that, um, that intercepting defender is almost the most valuable, you know, sort of position on the field if you get a good one. And um, you know, I think he's got a, you know, Jeremy his brother is one of the best at it. And we what we've seen with um, uh, Mitch um, sort of last year when he was fit and and not injury-free, and this year when he was trained, he looks really, um, you know, that's his sort of, you know, spot, so we're pretty excited for what he can do, and um, yeah, so we look forward to hopefully having an injury-free um, Gov. And Vossi didn't sound overly convinced about playing Mark Pitonet and Tom DeConing in the same team. He seemed like he was almost going to favour DeConing, at least for the Richmond game, maybe, because Richmond might only be playing one key ruck, and they might, they might not play Soldo too, but um, how do you see that shaping up? We're talking a bit about forward lines if they really load up with tools. It would be great in a way if you had Mackay, Kerno, and De Koning down there to aim at at once uh, sometimes in games. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting with the, probably the, that fifth man bench role, um, bench position. But um, yeah, um, Pitt, Pitt had a bit of a rehab sort of um, uh, knee injury coming off of last year, but um he also played last night and played really well. And I actually thought he played um, really well um, against uh, the Swans. So, you know, I think he hasn't done himself any harm for selection of, to get um, picked. But, um, yeah, King's looking really good as well. So I think Rossi will probably say, yeah, it's probably a good problem to have. <laughs> You've also got a bit of a problem with a couple of kids who look like they're good. Lachlan Cowan looked good against the Swans and Oliver Hollands looked pretty good too. Yeah, definitely. Um very impressed with Ollie. He's, um, you know, actually, yeah, I think we've, he's going to be a very good player for a long time. And um, Lockie's bloody tough, um, fast. He's got some um, great qualities as well. So they just keep getting better and better, these new, new kids. Are <laughs> <laughs> they a chance for round one, do you think? Stepping straight in, you sound fairly confident that Hollands might be a contender for your 23. Um, I wouldn't know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they would be far off because... Um, they played both practice matches and um, they played really well. So um, it would be like Pitt. They've, they've done themselves um, no harm in getting picked. So, yeah, like I said, it's a good problem to have again. Your second season at Carlton after leaving Sydney. What have you made of the change and how different is this Carlton this year under Vossi to what you sort of walked into last year? Um, I think last year was just well, it was sort of hard for me to... Um, get a grips on it but I think everyone probably felt refreshed I guess with like everything was everything was quite new and then we probably surprised ourselves with how well we started but then it's probably a really great thing because we, we knew we could be you know a really um, respected side in the competition and then I think this year is just like sharpening our tools on what we went after last year with um, Vossi's um, game plan um, and then just 
you know, going at it as hard as we can. Um, so, yeah, that's what we've just been honing in on, you know, the, the structures and game plan and contest side this preseason, yeah. And I did see Jacob Wittering was quoted as saying that Carlton built an identity last year, kind of built a brand and an identity and a, a way of being. Do you feel that as well, as if uh, there's, a, there's a brand that Carlton fans can aspire to come and watch every week now that you've established that and want to continue it this year? I think so, yeah. Um... We're trying our hardest, that's for sure. Um, yeah, we we definitely still look up the sides like Geelong and how they've just done it for 10, 15 years. Um, you know, you probably put Sydney in that bracket a bit as well. Um, they just front up every week. And I think that's the greatest respect you can have is just knowing that, you know, your brand's going to front up every week if you have great effort. And the injury situation that you faced or a couple of other guys face, is that is injury just bad luck or is it management? Do you get to know your body better? Do, do older players sort of get to know how to manage their own body better, almost take it out of the hands of the advisors sometimes because you know yourself more than anyone else knows you? Yeah, I think it's up to the, the individual. Like, I think AFL is just such a demanding sport. When you, you're highly driven, you want to push yourself to, to the limit. And I guess sometimes, you know... Um, you have setbacks. Um, I think that's just footy. Um, you know, we're not really in the right position if you think it's going to be, um, you know, free sailing. So that's just in part and parcel, and that's why it's such a good job. <laughs> Can I ask you about head knocks as well? Is that Do you feel like you kind of have all the information you need now so you know the perils of playing AFL football, including what can happen if you get head knocks? Yeah, I think like that's such a... It's still such a, a grey area. I think probably um, we also look like they're trying to improve their standards on it, putting in this 12-day concussion protocol, which I think great. Um, it might be tough when it comes to fines and stuff. I think, yeah, it's putting the players' safety um, first. So I think, yeah, there's still a long way to come with all that. But I think, um, you know, you're hearing all these stories which are pretty sad, but... Um, yeah, unfortunately, that's just part of you know contact sport. And do you think players now are more happy to miss more than twelve days? I mean, I've come from a you know fairly brutal area where you you wouldn't miss a minute, but now it seems as if we're evolving into an era where if a player needs more than his twelve days, even though you want to come back after twelve days, if you have to miss three weeks, you just miss three weeks. That's just the way it is. Yeah, and I think that's um, that's been really good. I think. Um, you know, you probably because you just want to get respect from your teammates. I think, you know, everyone's um, had them. They, they sort of know now. Everyone really understands the situation. You don't lose, you know, respect or anything if you you, you don't feel right, which is um, which I think has been really good. Um, so hopefully that continues to happen and um, players feel safe um, if they don't feel ready to come back, which which is um, which has been really good by the AFL and the club doctors and everyone. Talking to Carlton star George Hewitt. A couple of quick ones, George, before I let you go. Blake Akers looks like he's filling a, a really good spot for you on that wing. It looks like a good pickup. Yeah, definitely. He's going to be a very good player for us. Um, he's got great, great qualities um, for his role, but he's also very tough. And um, Yeah, I think he, he was very good last year for Fremantle. So I think we got pretty lucky getting him. And Patrick Cripps' leadership, he seems like he's got that good little twist between a sense of humour and being fairly strong as a as a character when it needs to be strength that he shows, um, you know, mentally and ha- being hard on you? Yeah, he's, um, 
Yeah, I've been under some pretty good leaders, I think, at the Swans and Crippers. Um, yeah, he's very unbelievable in his own way. Um, just a man who leads from um, leads from the front, tough, and also he's always just so positive, which is uh, his biggest strength. I think he's always just optimistic about what's next. And I think we're all optimistic about what's next. George, finals are next, aren't they? Is that uh, we'll get ready for get the tickets? <laughs> uh, we're just trying. I think it's just most important. You literally just take it week by week, and then before you know, if you're going well, those things come along. But I think we just got to. We're not in that um, position to say that yet. I think we just need to earn the respect to ourselves in the competition and try and just get wins again. And a tough start, Richmond, and then Geelong at the MCG round one and two for the Blues. But uh, let's hope you go well, George. Can't wait to talk more to you during the course of the season. Thanks a lot for your time. No, thanks, Ian. I hope you're well. I am well, and uh, it's great to have a chat to some of the players in the lead-up to this season. The positivity that's coming through is great. Obviously, they're not going to say, oh, we're going to win the flag, but you can get a sense from Carlton that it's there for the movement up the ladder if they're good enough. We'll take a break. Carlton Membership Day today on SEN. Become a three-game Carlton member, and the club will double your access to six games, all for just $99. Call one 300 Carlton to take advantage of their SEN-exclusive membership offer. Great to have your company wherever you're listening to Dwayne's Word for Master Builders Victoria. Get expert legal advice. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. And we're here for Athena Home Loans. Pay down your home loan faster with Athena. Been talking about goal kicking. Is it your midfielder that's been costing you one goal a game because their accuracy rates are so bad at the moment, the gun midfielders, as opposed to blaming the key forwards all the time? Interestingly enough, Malcolm Blight actually had something to say about goals kicked and how many goals it's going to take to win a game in 2023 with this more attacking mindset on Sports Day SA last night. Here's Malcolm Blight, one of the all-time greats. I'll give you the stats now. It used to be 15 goals you had to kick in the grand final to win it in the last, in the AFL era, in the last 10 years. 15 goals, right? So if you're not doing that throughout the year, I don't know how you can do it grand final day. I, I just don't get it. Anyhow, with what happened last year with Geelong smashing, I think it's gone up a goal. So the answer is 16 goals. If you're not working to kick 16 goals, just I've always said defence is important as an essential. But if you're not trying to move the ball quickly, and Dan, you'd know this more than anyone. If you get in the forward line one-on-one, I don't care. Forget team defence. If you get it in there one-on-one as a team and as an individual, you've got a chance. When you have to fight five blokes or six opposition, it's stupid. I think the game, there's been a few coaches like you know, Hardwick, maybe Simon Goodwin, and maybe Chris Scott has learned that Hey, if we get in there quickly, give a bloke a 50% chance, they're probably going to get their share. Bit of Malcolm Blight. That's what we've been talking about a bit on this program the last couple of days. SEN Tire Power Tipping is back, by the way. Play SEN Tire Power Tipping and join for your chance to win weekly prizes, including the major prize of $5,000. So you can sign up now at tipping.sen.com.au. Great to have Tire Power on board. Check out your local Tire Power, independently owned and there's one uh, in every suburb just about, regardless of where you're listening to this radio show, which is going to bring you some cricket in about an hour from now. So plenty of cricket to come your way. We'll also head to India very shortly. Adam Collins is going to give us his thoughts on what might happen on day two. Time to celebrate some lives as well. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Happy birthday to St Kilda's new um, vice-captain, Callum Wilkie, is among the leadership group now at the Saints. And Chuck Norris, 
turns 82 today. Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Shami runs in to Usman Kwaja, and Kwaja clips it away, and there it is! He reaches his 14th century for Australia with a perfectly struck boundary, a languid shot as befits a fantastic performance from a truly brilliant cricketer. Ever since he's moved to the top of the order, well, Australia have found a superstar opener. He raises his bat. He is in delight. He's been hugged by Cameron Green. Star of the show on day one, Usman Kawaji might end up being the star of the show on day two as well. Daniel Norcross with the call there on SEN. Coverage of the fourth test continues today on SEN from 12.30, Australian Eastern Daylight Time, with Australia to resume at four for 2.55. Usman Kawaja, 104 not out. Cameron Green, 49 not out. A couple of the stars outside of those two yesterday. Travis Head, he did the job opening, 32. Yeah, he might have been able to stay longer, but he, he got the job done, 32 for an opener. I reckon he's pretty good starting point when you're playing a, an away test in India. Steve Smith, 38 as well. And again, Steve Smith's captaincy is going to become an interesting discussion point if we end up winning this test. Adam Collins, SEN cricket commentator at Modi Stadium. Thanks to Coolabar Turf, Victoria's premier supplier of instant lawn, has been good enough to give us a couple of minutes of his time whilst he's warming up for day two. Welcome to you, Adam. Great to have you back. Good to be here, Dwayne. Yeah, it's another gorgeous day here at Ahmedabad. Not a cloud in the sky. And a day to be patient. Again, we showed some patience yesterday and it was, it was a profit margin for us that Puts in a really good spot here. Yeah, it was the first wicketless session of the Test Series between lunch and tea. To put it in some perspective, there were 12 of them last year when Australia played in Pakistan across three Test matches, and it's taken to the fourth year to have a single wicketless session, which you know, reflects how balls dominated bat and how the surfaces, especially indoor, have been designed precisely for that. But yeah, a more placid surface here, um, flatter through the middle, Baked in the sun for the couple of days leading up, by far the warmest of the four cities that we've been in, up to 36 degrees, I think it was yesterday. So um, the method for Australia today, if they can bat till, I don't know, halfway through the day and exhaust the Indian side, they'll be going very well. So Uzi, he's got uh, an agenda, hasn't he, Uzi? He's been a man on a mission, one of the great redemption stories or comeback Mm. stories of Australian sport. And here he is. I mean, a double ton's not out of the question. It's a staggering story, isn't it? If Travis Head doesn't get COVID before the Sydney Ashes Test match last year, maybe none of this happens. I mean, it's possible he gets back in the test in the test side at, at some stage, but that is the uh, perennial sliding doors moment for him in his test career. He struck six centuries since then, since January last year. Um, of course, four of them coming last year. He was the leading run scorer in the world. Uh, made 100 at Sydney this year, 195 not out, and the century here. Um, three of those centuries have been away from home, two in Pakistan last year, and of course yesterday here unbeaten on 104. And, and yeah, it, it, it just strikes me as uh, a reminder that as a Test cricketer, you can play your, you can do your best work after the age of 35. He's 36 now, uh, and in the case of David Warner, we're, we're thinking about his reflexes slowing and, and coming towards the end of his journey. Well, Kawaja at 36. Reminds me more of Chris Rogers, who came back into the test side at 36 and played for three more years and had a most productive time at the top of the order, striking five centuries in that window. Well, maybe we get two more years out of Uzi, and what a great story that would be. Chances Warner doesn't get back in if this Travis Head, Usman Kawaja tandem goes well? I don't quite view it that way. I don't think Head will bat... Uh, at the top of the list in England regardless. So the question is, do you pick Warner to open in the World Test Championship final? Like a grand final, do you want your best players 
and your most senior side who have taken you to the, the, the major game to be there. I, I reckon they might view it that way around Warner. Big game player over a long stretch of time, a one-off final. Might be slightly different around the five tests that follow with the Ashes. So, yeah, I reckon they, there's a possibility they might divide and conquer a little bit there. And when it comes to England specifically, the challenge that Broad and Anderson will present to Warner um, will be just as fierce as we've seen in the last 12 months. Those two quicks are not dropping off whatsoever. So that might be where they look to a right-hander. Someone like Cameron Bancroft, who's had a, a bumper Sheffield Shield season, leading the country for runs. He made 100 a couple of weeks ago. He's fourth of the season. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try and bring a right-hander in to replace Warner when the time comes. And, of course, they'll, they'll be opening, in the short term at least, with Usman Khawaja. They'll be opening themselves up to ridicule if we lose that World Test Championship and we change. If this is successful, if we win this second test with Head as an opener with Khawaja, and then we all of a sudden jump because Warner's available, it will open up for criticism if we don't get the job done in that World Test Championship. It might, but remember that I don't think Travis Head's opening the batting in any scenario in England. I just don't think that's happening. So Australia have been pretty clear, and the captain, Steve Smith, the coach, Andrew McDonald, that they, they think he's a, in conditions that seem... And look, we saw that last year in the Ashes series at Brisbane and Hobart. Uh, Head's 200s came in seeming conditions on tracks that were really lively. He's just got a way about him when the ball's moving around from the quicks, when it's a bit quicker through the air. So they want him to do damage at five and to put pressure on attacks in a very similar way to, to what Cameron Green did yesterday, actually, coming out just before the second new ball. And when the second new ball arrived, for the first time in the series that Australia have got to look at a second new ball, by the way, um, he was able to transfer pressure against tiring bowlers and struck 49 in a hurry. Uh, that partnership unbeaten of 85 uh, he hit eight boundaries out of that, and most of those came against the second new ball. So I think they'll see Head um, being far more dangerous from, say, overs 60 to 100 uh, than they will at the top of the list in England where it's going to be seeming from ball one. Cameron Green showed why they want to get him in and get him in and lock him in for long term. Just an old-fashioned number six innings, wasn't it? Coming in when, you know, there was some pressure. It was the 71st over when Hanscom was knocked over. So um, there was a little bit of reverse. Not, not huge amounts, but enough on a hot day to get the ball going the other way. Um, he got through that interrogation initially from the spinners. He drove a, you know, down the ground beautifully. Best shot of the day, uh, the on-drive. That's before the second new ball. And after the second new ball, he just teed off. Um, getting on the back foot, crunching through uh, square leg in front of square as well. There was one cut shot to die for. He, he just really seemed to embrace the challenge of making the very most of the last 10 overs of the day in the way that number sixes are meant to do. Like This is the old-fashioned Australian model of having a guy at number six who can come in and really bludgeon a bowling attack when they're tired. And, and yesterday was the first time they, they got the chance to make the Indian bowlers have to, have to put in a couple of extra yards and have a day in the dirt. And crowd today, uh, what, it started at 100,000, ended up at, what, 10? What's it going to be today? Uh, well, I think there, the, the estimates from the GCA were that there were 50 to 60 in yesterday. And I think that's fair. I reckon before lunch that that feels about right to me. I've grown up in Melbourne, I, you know, like every good Melbourneian, I can tell you how many people are inside the MCGs within about 300 people went in there for a game of footy or cricket. Uh, and my eye says there were about 60-odd in here yesterday before lunch and there were far fewer after lunch and we all know why that was. So um, right now there might be 100 people in here. So there's about mm. uh, 70 minutes until play resumes and it'll, we'll put it this way, it won't fill up, um, but the crowds will be more in keeping with what we saw in the first three test matches because... They sell tickets by the test in India, not by the day. So you never really get 
um, full value for your crowds here, which is unfortunate. But um, yeah, look, if they get 20,000 in today, that'd be probably the, the expectation after 50 to 60 yesterday. So the MCG's record of uh, 91,112, I think it was, from 2013 Boxing Day. If it wasn't broken yesterday, uh, with all of the on, uh, goings on uh, before play with the Prime Ministers and, and all of the people who were bust in for that event, uh, they're never going to break it. Great to have you, Adam. Look forward to the coverage a little bit later on. So in just over half an hour from now, Adam Collins with the team to bring you day two of this fourth test. Australia resuming at four for 255 with Usman Kawaja, 104 not out, and Cam Green, 49 not out. Adam Collins joining us thanks to Coolamar Turf, Victoria's premier supplier of instant lawn. Carlton membership day today, of course, on SEM. Become a three-game Carlton member, and the club will double your access to six games, all for just $99. Plenty still to come. A couple of texts that have come through. Keep your texts coming through. 0433981116. Great interview with George. Bring on Thursday night. Go go Blues. Cheers, Ali. Another one here. Kicking balloons inside your house when it's too dark outside. So a lot of people did do that as kids. Love how many texts we've had come through on the 40 Winks temper text. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. Always great to have your company on Dwayne's World. Always great to be talking some Greyhound Racing as well as we head toward the news. Thanks to Greyhound Racing's Group 2 Horsham Cup final tonight. You can see it on Watchdog. So let's check out what's happening in the Greyhound Racing industry as I welcome Andrew Holmes from GRV to the program. Andrew, great to have you on. Last time we spoke, we discussed the Greyhound Racing's community efforts to raise money for the Good Friday appeal. And you've got a bit of an update on that for us as well. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Dwayne. Thanks for having me. We do. We uh, we kicked off last Friday. I think we uh, we touched on and um, already through that event last Friday, we've raised thirty two thousand dollars for the Royal Children's Hospital Good Friday Appeal. It's a real um, passion of ours at GRV and across the whole industry to uh, to support this. And we've got a lot of initiatives between now and Good Friday on April the seventh to uh, to grow on that thirty two thousand. And last year we raised over one hundred and twenty six for the entire campaign. So. We're leading into three fantastic meetings on Good Friday. Uh, it's Ballarat Cup night on Good Friday night, and uh, the big screen will be in the middle of the track showing the Carlton North Melbourne Good Friday match from uh, late afternoon into the evening, and then we race during the day at Traugan and Hillsville. So it's a big it's a big campaign for us. It's something that we're very proud of, and uh, we're trying to uh, get ourselves close to that 126000 from last year. Yeah, it's a great initiative. Speaking of Sunday, Hillville's on on Sunday, which is going to be a ripper. Yeah, absolutely. They've got a new race, Dwayne, and it's called the Emerald. Um, it's a race that's been um, been constructed uh, for dogs coming through the heats uh, that record the fastest time. So it's a final based on time. So it's going to be a pretty hot race. It's going to be a sizzle down the only straight track in Victoria at Hillsville, uh, over 350 and 300-metre uh, distances there. Uh, if anyone has never been to Hillsville, Duane, I know you have. It is mm-hmm. nestled there in the beautiful Yarra Valley and um, just by the big oval and the showgrounds there, the Hillsville Greyhound Racing Track. So it's free entry on Sunday. We know there's a couple of busloads of, uh, of punters and fans from the Emerald Hotel, actually, in South Melbourne. So the Emerald Hotel at the Emerald Greyhound Race on Sunday. Free entry, great uh, day out for, uh, for all the family. Yeah, great news. Hey, uh, before I let you go, I know you'd love to talk about rehoming and that program's going brilliantly as well. Always happy to talk about rehoming, Dwayne. There's always amazing, beautiful, brilliant greyhounds at our GAP facility at Tullamarine and Seymour to uh, to rehome to 
expecting families and waiting families and uh, not just families, Duane, but individuals, uh, single people, apartment livers, um, farm, family homes, whatever you you have. Um, they're obviously affordable and affectionate, um, only $100 to, to uh, adopt a greyhound from our GAP facility. So gap.grv.org.au is where people can go to. Um, and I, I know we've spoken in the past, Duane, that they're, they're, uh, they're lazy, they're couch potatoes, they, they only need 20 or 25 minutes of walking a day, uh, if that. So um, they're perfect for any environment. And next month, April, is the uh, National Greyhound Adoption Month. So we're, we're bracing ourselves to, uh, to be able to rehome as many greyhounds as we can right throughout uh, the month of, uh, of April next, uh, next month. So that's gap.grv.org.au, Duane. Good stuff, Andrew. Yeah, I've got a lot smaller dog, but it's crazy. So uh, I can understand what uh, you're talking about with a bigger dog, but isn't quite as crazy. Great to have you, Andrew. We'll talk again next week. Andrew Holmes from Greyhound Racing Victoria, and that's gap.drv.org.au to find out more about adopting a greyhound as a pet. Always great to have your company for Dwayne's World. Been a fantastic week. So many calls, so many texts. Thanks to all of you for taking the time to dial that number. The Worry Bikia open line, 1300 736 if you're in the market for a new or used car, drop down, see the team at Warwick here. They'd love to see you, David, Janan, Aid, Jim, and the whole team. Campbell Brown's been good enough to join us early, given we go to the cricket a little bit early in his normal Friday afternoon spot. And he joins us thanks to Tire Power, SEN Track, AFL Nation commentator. The Tire Power Storewide Super Sale is on now, and the Hawk Premiership Gun is on the line. Welcome to you, Campbell. Great to have you on. Afternoon, Dwayne. You're just up here in, in raining Noosa at the moment. And uh, Paddy Dangerfield was up here early in the week and Gary Ablett's floating around. We saw Jacko Jackson, the, the, the madman. He's around, so there's plenty going on. What's Jacko, what's he up to these days? Uh, did, did you drop in and say hello when you saw him? Was he sort of strutting down the, the beach as if he'd had the Everettys in the, in the backpack? What was he doing? Yeah, I did. I did say good day to him because my old man coached him back in uh, in waffle days, and um, so I've known him. And um, Mel did say he's the he's the maddest man that he's ever coached, but he loves him. Um, he's looking fit and healthy, and uh, he lives up in Queensland. And uh, Paddy, you were just uh, sunning on the beach there with the kids. Uh, what? Obviously, he was trying to tell us that Moles Creek and Fairhaven's the greatest <laughs> beach in the world. Obviously not. Yeah, well, I saw him here one minute, and then I, uh, I, I logged on to the uh, the internet and saw he was back in Melbourne for the captain's launch, the, the season launch. So um, he must have um, gone back a couple of days ago. But I did watch that uh, the 15-minute documentary of uh, the premiers last year, Relentless, they called it. It was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, probably the boat. He's got a huge boat. He's got like an ocean liner now these days. So he probably took the boat up to Noosa from Mogs. Hey, Brownie, you got a winner for us tomorrow. Big couple of day, days coming up, footy-wise, uh, not far away. Racing coming up. Heaps to get involved in if you're a punter in the other worlds of sport. But uh, most people want a winner from you right now in the world of racing from either Rose Hill or from Flemington. Yeah, a couple of uh, massive Group 1s. I'll start with the Coolmore. I really like one of the price here. $12. She's a belter, the Snowden's runner. Um, it was really good first up. It, it hit the line um, pretty well against the pattern. Second up in the surround, I think. Third up, peak fitness. Uh, Willie Pike rides. It's drawn a good gait. Uh, drops three and a half kilos from the run last start. And um, I think $12 is a good each-way place. So race eight, number 10 in the Coolmore. She's a belter. I'm a huge Anavisto fan, um, even though a couple of the Essendon boys own it, uh, it's just a barrier, I think, hurts Anavista um, 
tomorrow. It just it might might struggle to get across and, and lead uh, and have enough in the tank there over the fifteen hundred. So fingers crossed he can run a, a drum for them. In the Australia Cup, I'm gonna stick with one here and you might call me absolutely crazy, but young Bertha, it owes me a fortune, Dwayne. I think it's a two thousand metre horse. I know it's gone on to Caulfield Cups and run, you know, okay in Melbourne Cups and things like that, but um, five attempts over the two thousand it's only missed the placing on one occasion, it's third up tomorrow. It's it's drawn to get a better run than what it found at Sandown last start in a in an awkwardly run race when um, Keats just took off and um, they were all chasing. That's another one at around twelve dollars. So uh, it's only won the one race, and I've kept backing it. I've stuck fat with it, and hopefully we can get get a decent price and, and get the money tomorrow in the Stray Cup. And then in the new market, um, uh, the whole of Australia saw uh, I wish I wins run last start uh, in the Black Caviar. Lightning Stakes, it was one of the most devastating uh, last six to uh, 200 metres of the day. Uh, 1,000 to 1,200 metres looks ideal. It's 440, which is still a good price. I know it's a, a pretty solid field there, but I wish I win could be anything for the Moody Yard. And my best of the day, Flemington Race 2, number six, what you need. Uh, it's about $1.90, so just one for the multiples. But um, its debut win at Geelong was outstanding. It beat Las Cars, which is gone on to contest much tougher races and um, I think anything around a dollar ninety to two bucks about that is a good price to own. Have you done your eight yet? Who have you got in from last year and who have you got out? Yeah, I've, I've got Carlton sneaking in and I've got the Suns uh, in there. So um, Collingwood fall out, albeit only because they won so many close games um, last year that, you know, that, that probably made them look a little bit better than, than what they were. And oh, I think the Suns, this is this is their year. Um, they'll get King back at some stage, and they're a really good side. They've been building. They've got stability there across the board, and um, I think this will be a, a historic year for, for the Suns. They'll make the finals for the very first time. But it's a pretty open season. Um, you know, I think Brisbane are the team to beat right now as we speak, and, and probably Richmond and, and Melbourne uh, snapping at their heels with... You know, the Cats are around the mark again. I don't think they're going to have a premiership hangover um, like the Hawks did uh, in 2009, mate. But um, the best thing about that is, um, well, at least it's a premiership hangover, not just a hangover, Dwayne. <laughs> hey, so who else you got out then? Have you got, so you've got Collingwood out. Who else are you getting out to get Carlton and the Suns in? Probably Fremantle. I, I think they'll be good. They'll be pretty consistent again this year, but um, I've got Fremantle missing as well. So, yeah, it's, it's really tough, isn't it, doing, doing um, eights this time of year. And I always look silly. I, I think I had Sydney um, not even in the, in the top eight last year, and, and they go on and make a grand final. So there's no exact science to it. But um, this is the last week of optimism for, for fans and players and, and everyone involved because uh, reality will, will bite pretty hard um, by the end of next week, I could imagine, for a few sides. Yeah, this time next week, we'll be talking about who won between Carlton and Richmond and uh, trying to dissect that and probably getting the overreactions out of that, which will be fun. Um, what have you taken out of the pre-season cop then? I know you don't take a lot out of it, but is there one thing you took out of it? Not really. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's funny, the, the game's with six quarters and uh, you know, some sides play you know, their best best sides and others don't. I watched a bit of the, 
the Hawks game against um, the Cats, and they basically played the Box Hill side for you know, the, the second half of that game. Um, there's not a lot. I, I thought Essendon were probably the most disappointing side. I, I don't have them making the eight, but I, I have them you know, being really competitive this year, and um, they just couldn't, couldn't score, could they? So um, they need to find an avenue forward of centre quick smart before they play Hawthorne in, in round one there at the MCG, which will be, you know, you wouldn't want to be losing to, to Hawthorne in round one because I don't think they're going to have a great year. And um, Essendon didn't start well last year uh, over the first month of the season. I, I think they'd be, they'd be earmarking that round one game against the Hawks to, uh, to get a win and get their season off to a good start. And before I let you go, uh, often I, we get accused of leaving WA and SA out of the conversation. Adelaide Cup Day on Monday. Uh, you got a winner there, Persan, Grand Promenade. Who do you like? One of the roughies? Uh, yeah, well, t- Tags and, um, and Miles are going to be on track there. So that's the big one. Getting little David Taggart out of the studio in Melbourne <laughs> on a plane is absolutely outstanding. Um, Persan's, you know, a, a, a really good horse. Tough as they come. And I think the Mar Eustace team have a, a pretty strong hand there. They've got uh, Grand Promenade and Persan are both $5 favourites. Um, Philip Stokes, he targets that race as well, being a, a former Adelaide trainer there. So uh, Amade is, uh, is going to be in the mix as well. But um, it's a pretty open affair, as, as the market's telling us. Great to have you, Brownie. I better let you go uh, to back to sunning yourself on the beach. What's on this afternoon? Uh, like a hit of tennis, or you're fishing for marlin, or you're just going to get some rays? <laughs> I'm actually getting a massage, Dwayne, so I'm just going to stay nice and relaxed. Huh. Well, not now. You're not getting one now, are you? You're getting one later. <laughs> later, yeah, you're not right now. I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't be on no. air with you getting a massage. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll be off air right now. I appreciate your time. Campbell Brown. No. On the beach at Noosa, heading to the massage. Uh, too much information. Thanks to Tire Power, Storewide Super Sale is on now. And uh, we'll be talking to Brownie every Friday this season, which would be great. Although the way today went, maybe we won't be talking to him next week. Uh, Frank Panisi is about to join us from the Melbourne Storm. A couple of texts that have come through. I mentioned how many texts we've had this week. It's been fantastic how many texts have come through. Uh, so I really appreciate how many people have taken the time to send through a text? So I am going to read out more of your texts than ever this year. Uh, one here, screen time is probably hurting goal kicking. Um, in my day, if you were bored, you played outside with the footy or the cricket bat. Now it's spent gaming online. Your kids have a lot more choice as well these days. It's not just kicking the footy in the backyard, but you can go and play tennis, golf, cricket, down at the nets. There are so many different sporting choices for kids and their time, let alone the choices that you've got to do stuff and I think it is I mean it's kind of nice that kids want to get an education these days as well and spend a bit of time on their own education so maybe it's not just the footy as it was once upon a time for kids Dwayne a lot of football nowadays is dribbling the ball along the ground at goal bringing another element into goal kicking that can cause you to miss why don't they get through the air like the old days and be more accurate your thoughts Robin Burwood well I went down to Geelong training during the pre-season about a month and a half ago and they were practicing the dribble kicks so they actually had a dribble kick drill. They had five kicks from the left-hand side, five kicks from the right-hand side. So the dribble kick has become part of the current skill set of players, so much so that it's not just left to chance. They're actually practicing it. So maybe they should allocate more time to drop punt goal-kicking practice as opposed to allocating specific dribble kick time. But at least they're practicing it. If they're going to use it, why not try and practice the skill? Frank Panisi's been good enough 
to join me from the Melbourne Storm, General Manager of Football. A great win last week, albeit a thriller, um, a heart stopper. Frank, welcome to you. How's your heart going? Is it Has the rate dropped a little? Welcome to you. Hello, Dwayne. Uh, yes, certainly was a close one, as you said. It was. We never actually led for the uh, entire game, except for when Harry Grant went over and scored in Golden Points. So it was it was a really close game, a, a terrific game for first round. We don't probably expect the quality of, of games to be at that level for round one, but uh, we were all pleased to get away with the two points. Any reason why the quality was pretty good across the board, do you think? Uh, it seems like the, you've got a longer pre-season than the AFL. It looked like the guys had refined their act quite a bit. Yeah, yeah well, it, we, we, we do, but probably for, our, for both teams, not just our teams, but given we had a World Cup, probably the players had a shorter pre-season, which made it even more stunning that it was such a high-quality game. Now, look, I think they've got two of the best teams in the competition. Parramatta were grand finals last year. Um, we were finalists, and I think two teams that have had a terrific rivalry over the last few years. Orbit Parramatta's dominated the last few games. They've won four games on the bounce against us, so we're very keen to not just start the season well, but you know, start playing well against Parramatta and beating Parramatta because, um, as I said, four games on the trot we'd lost to them. We, we needed to, to stop the rot. And now you've got your first home game against the Bulldogs. So tomorrow night, Amy Park, 7.35 start for that one uh, after that thriller against the Eels, 16-12. to 12. So let's hope you get plenty of fans aboard for that tomorrow night. Yeah, it should be great. Uh, Dwayne, I mean, obviously we've got... Uh, we're the only game in town with no AFL starting until next weekend, so we're really lucky. Apparently the weather's uh, uh, forecast is, is good, so no no reason for to get a big crowd and against a team that uh, have been building heavily over the pre-season. Um, they've really recruited heavily, and they've got one of our favourite uh, stars and former stars, and Josh Adokar, who's exciting to watch. Uh, Josh was here for two premierships and obviously scored over 100 tries for the club. We hope he doesn't score too many or at all tomorrow night, to be brutally honest with you, Dwayne. But just to see him back at Amy Park, I'm sure that'll excite a lot of fans. And I think you've had 29,000 against the Cowboys at Amy Park a few years ago as well. You do traditionally get a pretty big uh, crowd uh, early in seasons and against big teams. I know the Cowboys are a little lower, but what kind of number do you expect, even though there's still tickets available at ticketech.com.au? Oh, yeah, I'd be disappointed if we didn't get 20-plus, uh, Dwayne. I think there's a golden opportunity with, as I said, no AFL. Um, and I don't think there's many other sports at all over the weekend. And it's uh, you know the weather's still lovely for it to come out on a Saturday night. So, yeah, look, we're expecting a a good crowd, but a good game. I think you know I think the players have thrown really well. We've had a nine-day turnaround since that tough game against Parramatta, which is really important because being the first game of the year to have such a physical game first up, to get that extra two days off has been really beneficial and the players have appreciated. So now looking forward to um, you know, a good game against a team, as I said, that have been uh, recruiting heavily and a traditionally big club. And, and you know, we've got to make sure that we start well tomorrow night and, and play well and continue our form from against Parramatta. So the Roosters lost to the Dolphins, still arguably the biggest story out of last week. Uh, most people still think the Roosters will finish higher at the end of the season. What did you make of the upset? Oh, I thought it was fantastic for the game of rugby league, to be honest with you. Not because we, you know, were fierce rivals with the Roosters. I think that added to it. But in terms of a new team coming in, that you know, a lot of people expected to be down the bottom of the table. Um, you know, they've got a few of our players there. They've got a great coach in Wayne Bennett. Um, and it was just good for the game. It was exciting. It was a big crowd up there, over 35,000 people. 
great. And then they played a really good style of football. And, you know, if I, I wouldn't work, look too much into the Roosters' early loss, they're, they're traditionally a slow starting team. Um, so I wouldn't read too much. And I think by the end of the season, they'll be up there at thereabouts when the, the whips are cracking come finals time. As opposed to you guys who've what now won under Craig Bellamy 20 round one games in a row? That's correct, yeah. We haven't been beaten since 2002 in our first game of the season or in round one, which is, uh, yeah, it's extraordinary. And it's certainly no fluke. Uh, you know, it just probably typifies how important um, pre-season is to us as is, is our, more our mindset. I think everyone trains hard in pre-season. There's no doubt about that. But uh, all, all pre-season, um, the emphasis on being ready for round one, not yet the absolute best for round one, but... but Wanting to win round one, that's probably that's set in stone with the players very early. The mindset is that's what we're geared for is round one and, and been doing that for 20 consecutive years. And it's a record that we're really proud of and, and, and a record that Craig uh, quite deservedly is proud of as well. And finally, uh, all sports are trying to stamp out racism, doing more than ever to try and stamp it out. And the NRL had that high on their agenda this week. Oh, it was just dreadful to read it this morning. I, I really was. I just can't believe that it's 2023 and we're, we're still having this these discussions. I mean, yeah, it was really disappointing. I mean, you know, boo and carry on about teams and players, that, that's all part of it. But, yeah, that's just absolutely no place for it. So I, I, I can, I mean, the NRL wanted to stamp down hard on, on whoever did it and uh, we don't want to see it in our game. We don't want to see it in any game, actually, you know, all society. It's just, we just got to get rid of it. But it's disappointing. It's 2023 and we're still having these discussions. It's it's quite sad, actually. It is, uh, Frank, and I appreciate you sort of weighing into it. We, I mean, I talked about um, oh, blocking some people on the text machine that we get here, and uh, it is. That's, they still come through, which is bizarre. But uh, it's good to see so many organisations like the NRL being proactive to try and stamp it out, as the AFL have been. Great to talk to you, Frank. Really appreciate you joining me. And good luck uh, tomorrow night, 7.35, Amy Park. Tickets are still available at ticketech.com.au for Storm v. The Bulldogs. We'll talk next week, Frank. Thanks, Wayne. Frank Benici joining us. A couple of texts that have come through. Brownie, you're delusional if you think Collingwood's efforts last year were just chance and luck. 11 wins in a row is not luck. That's from Brad. Uh, hey, Pipe, just looking at how untroubled our batters were yesterday, I'm saying 400 is par score. Today should be a cracking day to bat. We need to take advantage of that and bat for at least two and a half sessions and maybe have a little crack at the openers tonight. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how well this pitch plays. I presume the way this pitch is playing that it's going to play well for day three as well, so I presume they're going to try and want to want to use as much of day two as possible. Another text here: KB and Terry Wallace, uh, Tim Watson had no problem pumping goals from miles out. Little guys made it look easy. Tony Bahaja, Craig Bradley, Ben Cousins, Peter Matera, straight out of the middle, bang, hardly ever missed. That's from Dean as well. Yeah, they were all super goal kickers as well. Some sad news though before we take a break: Cricket Australia has confirmed that Pat Cummins' mother, Maria, has passed away peacefully overnight so our condolences go to Pat and the Cummins family the Australian team will wear black armbands today and we're not far away from crossing to India so sad news there 
Welcome back to Dwayne's Wellbeing. Great to have your company today and this week. Thanks to everyone that's taken the time to call for Midday Madness. Dwayne's World for Master Builders Victoria. Get expert legal support. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. And for Athena Home Loans, pay down your home loan faster with Athena. Back for Midday Madness on Monday. So looking forward to your company, your calls and your texts on Monday. Before I say farewell though, Reese celebrates all plumbers on World Plumbing Day tomorrow. Saturday 11th of March and to celebrate and to find out about the Reese Foundation we're catching up with Kale McCain owner of KLM Plumbing and Gas Fitting and Reese Foundation member before I sign off Kale welcome to the program great to have you on thank you mate thanks for having me good to have you on just to explain a little bit about the Reese Foundation and why it was set up so the Reese Foundation is an independent charity that connects tradies with communities that are in need of help and it allows them to access clean drinking water and sanitation. It's a nice thing to do to be able to give back to the community and a lot of our audience would like to get behind World Plumbing Day and get involved with the foundation to help you guys help other people. So how can people do that? For sure. Uh, I'd recommend tomorrow being World Plumbing Day, um, get down to your local local Reese branch, go down there, have an egg and bacon roll, have a yarn with the guys down there and, and they'll definitely, they've definitely got a lot of info so any plumbers out there that are keen, willing to lend a hand, get on board. And there's a lot of people who like to actually find out more about their plumbing and uh, sort themselves out. So if you go down to your local Reese tomorrow, you'll be able to have those kind of chats. It's a bit like footy people getting around the water cooler talking footy. You can talk some plumbing with your local tomorrow. Mate, absolutely, definitely. Look forward to it, Carl. Great to have you on. Really appreciate you jumping on. And let's hope plenty of people get to their local Reese Tomorrow. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. For sure. Thanks, mate. Carl McCain. Reese celebrates all plumbers this World Plumbing Day, Saturday, March 11.